Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here alongside Garland. Garland, good to be back together. Oh, as always. So we're working our way through this letter of 1 Peter, and it's been engaging. It's been challenging. I hope our Sermon Notes listeners are enjoying just a summer of taking a pretty deep dive into a, a not often read and taught epistle that's kind of tucked away in the back of our New Testament. And we're moving this week into chapter three. So just to remind our, our listeners, if they missed an episode or two, haven't had a chance to go back and catch up, um, Peter is giving us instructions on how we're to live as members of this chosen race, this royal priesthood, um, these as sojourners and exiles. So outsiders living in this culture. And he's talking about submission to authority. And so first he talked about government authority and honoring the emperor, um, uh, honoring all people. And then just last week, Clark walked us through, uh, Peter uses servants and masters. And for us, that probably looks more like an employee employer relationship, but where there's someone who has authority over us in the workplace and Garland this week, as we press into chapter three, he's going to talk about what it looks like in the home specifically in the context of a marriage. Indeed we are. Um, and so just by uh, way of sort of reorienting where we are in the letter, um, you know, you set up sort of the themes of how we got here. Just, just um, you know, grammatically outline how the letter works. Um, he comes in with the introduction in chapter one, and you can see that one verses one and two. Then a, a pretty good lengthy we call it a doxology, call it a benediction, call it a blessing to the God. In this case, uh, our God, Jesus, and our God, the Father, and the Spirit. We get that Trinitarian language in three, uh, chapter 1, 3, all the way down through 12. And then we have a therefore. That begins, we might call it, you know, the body of the letter. And that first section goes all the way through 2.10. And then chapter 2.11 through 4.11 is a whole other section. You can see uh, the way that those break down grammatically, because in 2.11, the NIV translates it as dear friends. It's the Greek word uh, beloved, dearly loved ones. And the same uh, thing occurs in 4.12. So in uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 4, verse 12, those are, we might say, different subunits of the body of this particular letter. And we find ourselves kind of right in the middle of this major unit. And like you said, he's addressing what it looks like to live good lives among the pagans and face both an outrage in response, like, I can't believe y'all live like that, but then also it's really compelling and attractive. I can't believe y'all live like that, really? Um, and so this has been really challenging. I mean, your, your sermon a couple of weeks ago, I left, uh, I was pretty fired up that day. Um, and so just thinking through this, it gets really practical. And this week he drops all the way down to, like, how does this actually work out in your like family relationship. Um, and it, it, that shouldn't be that surprising, I guess. How are we going to show the culture um, that Jesus really is king? And where does it really ultimately drop into? Well, it drops into our actual individual lives and it also how those are expressed in the context of marriage. So we got a lot to wade into this week. Um, any by way of summary, does that get us? You feel no, good that's about? great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Where we're at. Um, I appreciate you kind of putting it in the context of the whole letter. So verse or chapter three, verse one begins. I'm looking at the ESV. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Okay, right away. Mm -hmm. People are like, all right, 
What are we going to say about that? Oh, yes. Here we go. Um, so I'm going to present, actually, uh, in this um, in this sermon, I'm going to take that same Keller quote that you quoted from a couple of weeks ago, and that's going to be our framework um, for this week as well, uh, that what Peter is going to address here, really three, I'm going to call them three issues, we might say, are both outrageous and compelling in the ancient and the modern world. And I think when we read this right off the bat, modern readers read this, especially uh, kind of Western ones and go, okay, I know what's outrageous. He says, wives submit. That's outrageous. And uh, I'm going to have to do a little work on Sunday to kind of peel the layers back to show that in the ancient world, that was not the outrageous thing. In fact, um, there's something that in their world, what he's doing is quite outrageous. And in our world, it's actually really, really compelling and attractive. And we're going to get to look at that uh, on Sunday. It essentially is this, for Peter to address the wives in this case um, at all, first and foremost, is already showing them an amazing deal, uh, a great deal of honor. And then notice what he says. Um, He will say a few few verses later down in chapter 2, verse 15, revere Christ as your king. In chapter 3, verse 4, he says, this is of great worth in God's sight as he talks to the wives. Um, that is surprising. It's in fact outrageous. In fact, in the ancient world, it was seen as dangerous, even subversive, to enable a wife to honor, revere Christ as Lord if her husband doesn't do so. And I think most scholars, because of the way the language is uh, kind of rolls out here in chapter 3, 1, and 2, think that the situation on at hand here is you have a a... Jesus following wife who's now proclaimed Jesus as king and is now rejecting the Roman gods, which was, you know, the Roman gods were how you oriented everything in life. The gods were in control of everything. And she has a husband who has not come to that same conviction. And in the ancient Roman world, a wife was required. It was by necessity. It was honorable. She must, uh, worship the same pantheon of gods as her husband. And so for Peter to address the wives and say, hey, revere Christ as your king, and not say, uh, actually, no, you better get in line with what your husband wants uh, wants to do, that would be outrageous in the ancient world. Um, even in just talking about this with my wife a little bit, as I was kind of working through this, she said, that's actually really empowering to women. And I said, exactly. We read this passage and immediately, I think, think um, this is outrageous in the modern sense and actually miss that what Peter is doing here is very, very surprising in the ancient setting. Now, here's what's maybe the surprising part for us. and And I don't want to miss it. He tells them not, okay, with your freedom now in Christ, you've got a different God. You're honoring Jesus as Lord. You're, you're rejecting the other God. You're rejecting your husband's God. That's going to be controversial. But he doesn't say, so leave him, divorce him, say, good riddance, I'm out of here. Now reread the passage. I actually think when it says submit yourselves to your husbands and live in such a way that you might win him over with your behavior, that, act, that word submit now has a whole other set of teeth to it. Like uh, I was talking about this with Clark earlier today, and I was like, in some ways, this is actually way more empowering at first glance. But in other ways, I'm like, that is such a profoundly difficult call that Peter just asked of these wives. He essentially said, you are both going to reject the societal norm, which says you must worship the same gods as your husband, but you're not gonna, we're not going to be subversive to society. In fact, go back home. To, go back home and win him over with your behavior so you can win him without a word, a little play on words with the word. Uh, If they're disbelieving of the word, you will win them over without a word. Um, And that, 
that's a high calling. Um, and so it, we're going to walk through some of that on Sunday. I think um, we won't have time on Sunday, though, to, to address maybe some of the, the issue of, okay, now what? And I think what Clark said last week will be a similar thing this week is Peter's going to leave some of the now what's in the hands of the prayerful, scriptural, uh, Bible open, prayerful community to decide and make wise decisions and not wade into, okay, now what? Um, and I know there's a lot of those that might come to the surface when we when we hear a passage like this, but what about this? And Peter doesn't address those, and um, we we may have a moment here even to, to, to do some of that. So before we do, just uh, response so far. Yeah, I, I love how you're unpacking that for us. And it's interesting, we talked about this in our teacher's meeting, and this is one of the purposes of sermon notes is for people to kind of be in on these conversations. But in each of these three spheres that he's speaking into, the civil or civic sphere, the marketplace or, you know, boss, master servant, boss, employee, whatever you want to say. And then the household, especially in their culture where the wife didn't have a lot of rights in each of the three, he's speaking to the person not in power. He's not speaking to the person who has power Mm -hmm. on how they should handle that. Mm -hmm. He's speaking to the person who's on the other end. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that tell us about what Peter's doing here? Yeah, I think right off the bat, it's, it's just hard for us to get into the skin of the ancient culture for Peter to even address the slave, to address the wife like this is already mind boggling. I think when this is being read in the gathered community in ancient, you know, what is modern day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, I think that when these parts start getting read, when the servant or the slave is addressed, I think the master gets nervous. I think the husband starts to feel nervous and he's going to feel way nervous when we get to verse seven. Um, and so I think for... And I think they're all nervous when they start talking about Nero and the emperor. I think everybody's going, wait, you're asking us to do what? Um, it is a, it is such a unique, uniquely empowering, uniquely um, like making people on the equal footing um, the way that this is worded, the way that this comes out. And it's just really hard for us to get past chapter three, verse one, and that word submit. And we're really trying here. I think to put ourselves in their skin. And when I, when I read this after working on it and studying it, it's again, what we're seeing all over this, this series talking about exile, we are both, we're both, um, very different, but not subversive. He doesn't say, Hey, servants, Uh, he says, you, you are equal. Like you have a place. I'm talking to you. I'm giving you power. I'm giving you honor by addressing you, but don't revolt. Hey, uh, you have a new king, his name's Jesus, and it's not Nero, so don't worship him. But don't storm the capital in Rome. Like, it's just a very unique picture of what? An exile. It's what we're talking about. What does it mean to get along in a culture that's not our home? And here again, some of the very same themes uh, are emerging. So um, a lot to wade through there. Um, I mean, I guess it does bring up the question, and I'll put you on the spot a little bit, just in having this discussion here so far. Um, we both sit across from many people and in, in, in both in our own personal you know, family circles, but also just pastorally who find themselves in really difficult marriage situations. Right. Um, and we're not going to have a bunch of time to unpack that on Sunday morning. Um, people both married to 
to not to non-believers or people who have come to know Jesus, but their spouse has not. And there's really a, only a couple places in the New Testament that speak to it. It was a very urgent deal, obviously, in the first century because there was no church. They were going into places where there was no Jesus followers. And so you had this situation uh, happening very frequently. Same thing happens in other cultures in our world today, um, where one spouse comes to believe in Jesus and the other one does not. First uh, Peter addresses this. Uh, Paul will address this in First Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to have a cross-reference there. But um, while there is always nuance, and maybe we'll talk about it just here in a moment, um, the the New Testament seems to put a pretty high calling on the believer, um, and we're just going to have to to square with that uh, a little bit. And so, um, in in a lot of broken marriages, there's um, there are issues and, and elements that need to be addressed, and sometimes they're really difficult, and sometimes there are really hard questions like, is it okay to lead if I'm being neglected or abuse? And and all of those are really uh, difficult things to wade through, and we've sat with couples in situations like this, and it's never easy. And if this brings some of that to the surface as we go through this on Sunday, which is one of my... One of my fears is that maybe somebody in that situation or knows somebody in that situation or has been in that situation has a hard time listening to the rest of the sermon. Um, We just want, you know, if you've made it to sermon notes, I just want you to hear they're never easy. Um, We're... (laughs) We, we don't take it lightly um, as kind of your, your pastoral staff here at Fellowship. And God's word, God's people, God's spirit can come together and try to make the wisest decision. Peter doesn't wait into all the nuance here. Um, and so we, I, I'm going to say something real quick about that on Sunday, but I won't have enough time. Uh, First Peter and First Corinthians will be your New Testament passage to look through. Um, but even still, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions. And we you know, we, we, we see that with you. We understand that we've sat in the pain of that and some of those broken marriages. Um, but you know, we have the passage in front of us and this is where it's going to take us. Anything you just say pastorally, uh, to that, Michael. No, I appreciate your heart on that. And yeah, I would say at fellowship, we take marriage very seriously. Uh, we don't enter into it lightly and we don't leave it lightly. Uh, we have a lot of resources. So if you are in a situation where you're having to make a difficult decision, or for some of those listeners, a lot of you, it might be that you are giving counsel to someone, or you have someone in your group, or whatever the situation is, a family member. Um, All those resources that we have, counseling, pastoral care, that's all available here, as is divorce care. And so um, we understand that the pain of divorce is part of um, life in a fallen world, that uh, marriages, sometimes no matter how bad one person in a marriage wants to make it work, um, you can't control how the other person is seeing the world. And so we have those things uh, ready and at your disposal. And the other thing, Garland, I would hasten to add is, Personally, I do not believe the Bible calls anyone to remain in an abusive situation. And so um, if any of our listeners or someone that they're, um, they're in their life, they're, they're counseling, um, is being physically, emotionally, or spiritually abused, I think, one, they need to separate themselves from that situation. I'm not saying automatically you end the marriage, but do not remain in a situation where you're being abused and get some help and give the Lord space to work in that. If if we ask someone to remain in an abusive situation, we're enabling the abuser's sin, and the Bible never calls us to enable someone's sin. So I won't go on and on about that, but I would say um, sometimes people have used the Bible as cover 
for abusive situations or urge people to stay in abusive situations. And uh, I don't think anyone at Fellowship, any of our pastoral team would agree with that. We would urge you to get some help. Yeah, and that's why, uh, again, uh, now here we are. We're going, the passage, I think, forces, and, and I, I'm a child of divorce. You know, my parents were divorced. And so, um, you know, these are never easy conversations. God's word, God's spirit with God's people. Um, and those can, those oftentimes come together, uh, to produce uh, a godly answer and wise uh, and a wise decision. And so, um, you know, we, we hurt with you in that. If you're pastoring a, a, somebody in your group or a sibling, or, um, if it was part of your story. So, um, it's here we are, uh, that's where the passage is going to take us a little bit. Right. Um, uh, verses three and four, I'm actually going to leave entirely for Sunday because we're going to spend a good amount of time on that. Um, cl- obviously it's, that's one of those that it doesn't take much work for us to understand. In the ancient world, your externals oftentimes marked you. Um, they marked you uh, where your stat. They marked your status, uh, and uh, they determined your honor. And Peter's going to say something that's all over the Bible, and which is. God sees the internal, not the external, and don't be fooled, don't be snookered uh, by the externals, and we'll get a we'll give a good amount of time to that on Sunday. Um, this section about Sarah, um, we're actually going to not spend a lot of time on Sunday about it. He uses support material, you might say. He's going to use an example from somebody from the Old Testament. Now, you, you may read this and go, "That's weird. I don't know where does that come from." And probably there's a uh, a Jewish tradition. Um, it's in some other writings that aren't part of our Bible, uh, where some of the language is taken directly out of. And so, um, just like we got American traditions and stories that we share. Um, that may not be part of quote unquote, the constitution, but you know, we kind of all share them. There was a lot of things like that in the Jewish world, um, and stories. And, uh, this was called the Testament of Abraham. And so if you want to know where that comes from, you can Google that. Um, and some of the language coming here is, is coming from that tradition. Uh, and then the last thing is, uh, husband. So I'm going to break the talk down on, on Sunday. We're going to see three elements or three ideas that are radically challenged. They're going to be loyalty. Your loyalty is to Jesus as King beauty. God sees the internals, uh, not the externals, and we can't seem to get that right. And third, honor. And here's the last one, honor. Now, there's a grammatical question on chapter uh, 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. Okay, so the, the grammar of this, there's not, a, there's not a command given. In fact, he just says husbands in the same way, then two participles. And if you've listened to sermon notes for a while, you've kind of, I think, gotten the hang of this, how Greek grammar works. Um, participles often, they're, they're verbs that oftentimes amplify a head idea. Sometimes it's an indicative verb. Sometimes it's a command. In this case, it's just modifying husbands in the same way. And the question becomes, what is the in the same way referring to? There's actually a lot of debate among scholars. Some see the in the same way. Uh, you would have to draw a line up to 3-1. Wives in the same way. See, the same issues on display here. And then it's a participle there, submitting yourselves to your husbands. And you can take the line all the way back up to verse 13. Submit yourselves. Um and also verse 18, submit. So some would draw the line for the husbands here. Husbands, in the same way, be submissive. Um, and I think it, you could obviously draw some of those implications out. That's actually probably the minority view among scholars. Um, and the question then becomes on all of these in the same ways, where do, where do they go back to? They're all going to be amplified with the idea of either submitting or consideration or something like that. The husbands will have a little bit different, a little bit of a vibe to it. So what is the head of all of these in the same ways? And probably we have two choices. Uh, One is it's verse 17, 
honor everyone, love the belie- love the family, fear God, honor the emperor. So honor everyone. What does that look like? Hey, slaves submitting to. And the other option is it goes all the way back up to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds. What does that look like? Well, you know, uh, honor the emperor and then slaves do this and then wives do this and husbands do this. So either way, we'll kind of, the scholarship's a little bit divided here. What is the in the same way you know, go back to, it's obviously a big deal. If it goes back to submit, then that has, we have a mutual submission idea here. Again, that's a minority view. Um, if it, we, what is grammar doing? We're trying to make sense of the Bible here. Then two participles. Uh, here's how does the ESV translate the first part of seven? Live with your wives in an understanding way. And what, and what does it say to that? Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the yeah. grace of life. See, NIV does it this way. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Um, I think both, both are jarbling up the participles actually pretty good here. I'm going to use the net, which is uh, the NET, the new English trend. Is that what, okay. Uh, Dallas Seminary puts it out. They actually got the grammar right, which it, it literally is this. There's two participles, husbands in the same way. Um, the first one is living with. So living with, I'll be, I'll be very literal. Living with your wives according to knowledge as the weaker vessel. That'd be the straight literal. Then the second participle is this, showing honor to them as fellow heirs. Okay, so the two participles are uh, living with and then showing honor. So what gets jarbled is they move all of the grammar around, all the clauses around. So living with, and this is where it gets tricky, living with your wife or the women according to knowledge as the weaker vessel. And so the question becomes, what does that mean? You can see the different translations working with uh, NIV says considerate. ESV had um, understanding. Understanding. Okay. Probably what's in view. And I like those. Those are interpretive translations. And I actually kind of wish that the grammar went that way, but I don't think that's what the grammar is doing. Um, probably it's living with your wives according to knowledge. What's the knowledge? In both of these, uh, in both of these clauses, they, are, they parallel each other. As the weaker vessel, then treat them with honor as co-heirs. So probably what is in view here is uh, live with your wives according to the knowledge that, we might say, they are the weaker vessel. Um, and most scholars think that just literally just means they typically are physically not as strong as men. The way I like to think about this is um, when I am approaching something, say uh, our plastic cups and plates that we feed our kids on, those are, we might say, the durable, the ones that we, they're just for common use. We toss them around, they go outside, they get broke. They don't, you can't break them. You just throw them in the dishwasher, the kids get to wash them. But when we pull out the really fine china, we treat that as precious. We treat that differently. I think that's the spirit of what's in minor. Treat this according to the knowledge that it's precious, that it's, it's weaker. You need to treat it with care. And then uh, showing them honor. In an honor-shame culture of the Roman Empire, uh, your elites and your, your emperor and your senators, they sat at the head of the table. They were honored. 
And at the other end of the table were the poor males and then the women on the far end, if we're using a table analogy. Uh, everything was done according to honor and shame. You were always trying to improve your honor. I like to think of it as like, like a boy's locker room in like high school. Everything's trying to earn honor and you would only do things that would earn you more honor. This is such a Jesus thing. It, 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 this is such a Jesus quote here from Mark chapter 10. What he's literally saying is, no, no, no. You elevate her as a co-heir, honor her. But to do that, it requires you to dishonor yourself. In the Roman culture, that's that's just unheard of. You, that's, that's playing a different game. And he tells the husbands, I want you to honor her as a co-heir, which necessitates you moving to a dishonored position. Outrageous in the Roman culture. Uh, and yet, right in line with our New Testament. And he even comes with a little bit of a bite to it. Hey, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Yeah. Um, almost like a, you want your prayers to be heard? Then you need to do this. Um, yeah. It's got some teeth to it. So it's just seven verses. And I think that what we see here is radical in the ancient world, somewhat radical in the modern world, and yet unbelievably compelling and beautiful in the ancient world and really beautiful in the modern world. And so I think what begins as a passage that we go, oh, I don't know, at least a lot of modern people, I actually think it's really profound. And so I'm, I'm excited to get to talk about it. I'm excited to get to teach it, and we'll see how this goes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, in premarital counseling and that type of thing, we always tell people, your Christian marriage, and, and I know we have a lot of single people who listen to this, and so I don't want you to feel marginalized, but the passage is about husbands and wives. Um, a Christian marriage is a really tangible picture of the gospel because it should look different from non-believing marriages. And when your non-believing friends and neighbors see how you submit to each other, you honor each other, um, that your marriage just, Clark would say it smells different. Like it's got a pleasing aroma that's unusual. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we can almost get a little bit used to it um, if we're in Christian circles a lot, but man, to a watching world, the marriage can be a great picture of exactly what Peter's pointing us to and what you've been saying, Garland, that it's, it's, um, it might be off-putting um, at first glance, and yet it becomes more and more compelling as they look at it and they start to think they have something that we want. Um, and of course, that thing is the centrality of Christ in our marriages. So yeah, I'm looking forward to unpacking this a little bit more um, on Sunday morning and in our groups. And of course, Sermon Notes listeners, we always appreciate your feedback. You can feel free to email us or just grab us if you worship with us at Fellowship. We'd love to talk with you about these things that we talk about on the podcast and in the teachings. And until next time, um, hope you enjoy your study of the book of First Peter. We'll see you then on Sermon Notes. <music>